Hello, spooky listeners, and welcome to Spook Radio. This is your spooky host, Kyle. I liked the uh, dramatic pause there. Made it extra spooky. <laughs> this, it's like you forgot I, your name. I wanted, I wanted to come up with like a spooky name, but then all I could think of was just Spooky Kyle, and that sounded stupid. <laughs> Uh, and this is, I guess this is Spooky Peter, apparently. Hello. Yes. Uh, and this is not Spook Radio. This is Funk Radio. Yes. Right before we hit record, Kyle, you were telling me why this was a spooky topic for our show. Yes. Uh, this is a spooky topic for Spooky Ween, because we are talking about uh, Night of the Living Dead formats. <laughs> so, yeah, basically, as... I don't really, uh, kind of jumping off what we were talking about on our last episode with the Sony debacle, um, I started looking into, I guess what you would call dead formats, formats that were around in bygone eras that never really took off in their time. And we've done and, a number of um, topics about like specific ones throughout yeah. throughout the show. Um, we had done uh, different kinds of mini cassettes. Um, mm-hmm. we did mini CDs, we did mini records. We kind of did all those, those all around the same time. We were kind of on true, a, on a kick of miniature things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was when we were, it was when we were like miniaturizing all the things. Mm-hmm. Honey, I shrunk the formats. So I kind of figured I would just get all the rest of the fa- famous dead formats out of the way so that we don't accidentally talk about them in the future, I guess. Um, although who knows, they may come up later. Mm. So yeah, I just dug through, found a, found a list of different, um, bygone formats. The irony of all of this is, as you'll see, as we go down this list here is, um, Sony has a large graveyard full of zombie formats that it tried to push on people (laughs) and they did not take. So people were like, screw that. And they shot them in the head like a zombie. Yeah, you know, um, without without even getting into the specific things yet, I'm just thinking like you could you could say that like oh you know Sony came up with all these shitty ideas that never worked, but at the same time, you could also say that they're trying, which is more than a lot yeah. of companies can say True. either f- for a lack of funding of R and D or just not taking that risk. So I think it's. Interesting, because you don't always know when you introduce something whether it's going to take off or not, um, and yeah, that's true. largely out of your control a lot of the time. So, um, true, true. I don't know. Yeah, um, as we'll see on this list, some of it is you know Sony trying to push the envelope technologically, and some of it is just that kind of I'll call it the Apple mantra of mm. let's make a proprietary format that only works with our devices so that lots of people use it and then that format because our devices are so popular will take off elsewhere which in some instances was not successful um, yeah and that and that model works with apple because people somehow don't stop buying their things regardless of what they do <laughs> so for the love of god stop I I wouldn't say that in that case, Apple, or really in any of these cases where that is a successful business model, I don't think the company Mm -hmm. is necessarily at fault because clearly it works. (laughs) So really, I think the consumers are more at fault if, 
you are really going to point a finger there. I 100% blame the consumers more than the company, because why would a company not want to make more money, I guess? So we're not really going to go in chronological order here, because we kind of, I, I guess we kind of are. But I'm going to talk about probably the one of the more famous ones that interested me, because I kind of forgot that they existed. Uh, the first thing we're going to, format we're going to talk about is laser discs, mm. which sounds very cool. Um, but they kind of weren't. So, laser discs, I guess visually to understand what they are first, imagine a CD the size of a record. They were huge, but they were shiny like CDs and basically kind of functioned in a very similar way. I've, uh, I've never seen one in person, but I've seen pictures of them. They look pretty cool. I've seen a handful in person because with, uh, with my record collecting hobby, for whatever reason, uh, you'll find at some record stores, like, a crate full of laser discs, and it's just like, hmm. why? Well, now, laser <laughs> disc is, or was, most at least mostly a video format, right? Were there any, were the, that were music albums too, or? It was a video format that was also kind of pushed, tried to push uh, to be a uh, more high-fidelity digital sort of music format to compete with um, records, mm. but was very quickly usurped by CDs because they functioned in pretty much the same way, however, were much more compact. Hence the name Compact Disc. Exactly. Whereas laser discs fun- could function well both as a optical medium for video because they, I guess, could store a lot of video data at the time, making them superior to the tape formats of VHS and Betamax, which we'll talk about in a second. Well, it's pretty amazing to think, too, because yeah, I mean, you'll get into it, I'm sure, but, like, LaserDisc, uh, the date you have on here is 1978, and you, you got to remember, you know, DVD and all that didn't come out for probably a couple decades, you know, at least in the popular oh, yeah. realm. So for this sort of technology to be around that early is pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Peter. LaserDisc sort of laid the groundwork for both CDs and DVDs as a format that was read through a laser. Basically, yeah, although LaserDiscs had a superior uh, quality video and audio to tape-based formats like VHS and Betamax, it never really managed to get widespread in North America, Largely because the cost of a LaserDisc player was prohibitive, prohibitively expensive compared to a VHS player, a CD player, a record player. Hmm. And the video titles themselves, there was no way for a consumer to record a video to a LaserDisc like you could to a blank VHS tape. And that was one of the big selling points of VHS and Betamax mm. was the ability to record, say, television uh, through the player if you want to, say, record a TV show that you were watching. It's basically like pre-TiVo TiVo. So it was a lot more expensive than VHS, and it, and I guess you could also say Betamax, but a lot more expensive than those, and it couldn't do as much. Although LaserDiscs didn't actually really take off in North America, like I was saying previously, um, they were actually very popular in uh, Japan and Southeast Asia, Hmm. in places like Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, and was actually the prevalent rental video medium uh, for this 
state of Hong Kong mm. all the way through the 1990s. Oh, wow. So while they fizzled out in America, probably within like the 80s, within the, the arrival or su- supremacy of VHS, I should say, mm. uh, in places like Southeast Asia and Japan, they remained popular all the way through the 90s, really, until they were overtaken by, like you said, um, DVDs, mm. um, basically just being smaller versions of laser discs. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. Which I find kind of funny. Yeah, I've seen a couple of, uh, including things that I've done a little bit of research on that we are not doing episodes on quite yet. Um, there's mm-hmm. things I've noticed where if you have different formats available to basically provide the same thing, um, different parts of the world will really embrace different ones for mm-hmm. whatever reason that may be. So I've I've seen that before. That's kind of interesting when that happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because what may like, be like really popular in Europe may be, you know, a really niche thing in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. And there's actually a handful of formats we're going to talk about that are kind of those instances where they were popular in certain countries, yeah. but never really spread beyond that. It says that by, by 1998, only about 2% of U.S. households had laser disc players. Uh, whereas that, that same year in Japan, it was about 10% of households. So it kind of shows the, the, uh, disparity. 2% is still a sizable number of people though. Yeah. For 1998. I would never have guessed that. Uh, the next format that we're going to talk about is one we actually mentioned, uh, Betamax. Um, and Betamax was developed actually about the same time as Laserdisc. It was developed in 1975. It was meant to be a consumer-level cassette format of magnetic tape for video. Uh, basically, that's a good way to describe it. It's a big-ass cassette for video. And it was developed by Sony, which y- you'll hear that name coming up a lot, uh, and released in Japan in May 10th, 1975. Basically, I keep wanting to say Batman. Uh, Betamax was developed to combat uh, JVC's rival VHS format, uh, for those of you that don't know, JVC is another Japanese tech company like Sony. Um, Are they still around? The f- oh, yeah. Um, wonder what they're doing I don't now. Know what they st- I don't know what they still make, but I'm pretty sure they're still around. I think they've kind of taken a step back from uh, the North American market because I just have not seen them very much, but I hmm. guarantee you they still make shit. Yeah, I remember in the 90s, uh, they used to like, it seemed like every... Uh, home video recorder was JVC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or camcorder, whatever they're called. Uh, I guess they still make camcorders now, but they're all just digital and they record 4K and shit. Hmm. That's kind of cool. So, yeah. So Sony made this Betamax format to compete with JVC's VHS format. And the funny thing was the video quality on Betamax was actually better than VHS and the tape sizes were smaller. Basically... VHS uh, ended up sort of winning this this war between the two simply because uh, marketing. They marketed themselves better. Hmm. They offered uh, more af- slightly more affordable players, and I guess people just liked them more. I don't know. Well, something that we've seen, because, um, for example, I know we've talked about, like, uh, compact cassette, or, like, you know, the audio cassettes, and mm-hmm. in cases like that, formats went out historically not necessarily because they're the best quality or the best in other means it's usually 
what's the cheapest and pretty exactly. pretty decent quality at a good price is usually exactly. what ends up becoming the standard. It says that VHS ended up basically winning the war with Betamax, uh, dominating 60% of the North American market by 1980. So within about, what, five years of their release? Uh, yeah, I, I think, Beta, I mean, I don't... I. So to be completely honest, I know almost nothing about Betamax, but um, I seem to get the impression that it was, you know, it had a decent run and Mm. a decent market share for a little while. Um, Because it seems like one of those things I hear about enough reference that it's like, oh, okay, like people actually had them. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously they didn't last that long in comparison Mm -hmm. to VHS at least. Fun fact, they were discontinued just in March of 2016. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to see, like, oh yeah, this old technology that I probably have never seen in my lifetime apparently just stopped being made, like, three years ago. Hmm. By the time you and I were born, VHS was, like, basically dominant. I mean, I remember as a kid yeah. getting all my Disney movies on those crappy VHS tapes that came in the crinkly plastic uh, case... Or whatever. Oh, I remember um, those. Yeah, like yeah. The they were always like the thick ass, thick ass plastic cases that would always like crinkle when you open them up because they weren't really great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Betamax failed. Um. The next thing I want to talk about is something that I've never heard of, but I just stumbled upon and found it interesting, hmm. just because I've never even seen one. Uh, it's a format called Tefafon. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It was developed back in 1936, so literally before World War II. And, surprise, surprise, it was made by the Germans. This thing, Tefafon, was a German-developed audio playback format that utilized cartridges loaded with what is a endlessly looped reel of plastic tape, similar to like a four- or eight-track tape, Except, I was going to say, does an 8-track work the same way? Yes. I think we had an, an episode about that as well. This is, this is the trippy thing about it, though. Whereas an 8-track is a magnetic tape that's read by a magnet, yeah. this tape had physical grooves in it like a record player. So is it kind of like... Because I'm looking at a picture, it looks like it has like a... It looks like a, you know, a, the, the magnetic tape you'd see in other formats, but... So are you saying it's like a... It's basically like if you took an 8-track tape yeah. and then embossed it so that it had the grooves that a record player would have, that Weird. loops and is read by a needle similar to a record player. So it's literally like okay. a hybrid of the two, which kind of blew my mind. I never heard of this. I know, right? And not only that, but the fact that it was invented so long ago, yeah, I found kind of interesting. So, so this was a music format, I take it, then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. This is a music format that, unfortunately, never really took off beyond Germany, huh. uh, never really hit American shores, surprise, because Nazis, and then after uh, Germany was split up after World War II, um, I guess it took off pretty big in West Germany, but never really moved through oh, even that late. beyond that. Yeah, no, they people had these all the way through like the 50s in Germany. Oh, wow. It just was a very German thing. Hmm. Yeah, there's it's not a whole lot of info I'm finding on it outside of that, but I just found it a really interesting format, and the fact that this is kind of a pseudo-predecessor to, like, 8-track or cassette tapes, the idea of playing music on a yeah. tape as opposed to a physical disc. 
Well, I remember when we oh. did, um, and again, I mean, this, this is probably a couple of years ago now that we did the eight track episode, um, which is crazy to think about. But I seem to remember when we were doing research on that and there was a lot of just history about like different magnetic tape mm-hmm. progression of technology throughout the years. I feel like that started around the 30s or so as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because 30s and even through the 40s, the 40s was like the the genesis of um, modern computing too. And mm-hmm. that's when they were de- starting to develop the idea of recording data onto magnetic tape. That's what would eventually lead to the concept of hard drives. Uh, okay. Um, and just storing other stuff on tape in general. Because I really, exactly. I think that's where the, where it originated, right? It was mm-hmm. data storage, not necessarily audio. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, yeah, it, magnetic tape storage was starting to be pioneered in the 40s because of the war, really. Mm. Uh, so this was kind of a musical predecessor to all of that, which is kind of cool. The tape is red, too, which is weird. I, we didn't That's like that, a but. translucent red or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the way the way we're seeing it in the picture, it's a tape with really thin grooves horizontally across the whole thing. I'm kind of curious, like, if it's looping, does, similar to the fact that, like, a record, you know, a record groove spirals down and down and down and down to the center, mm. does the groove on this just spiral around the tape over and over and over until it gets to the end, I guess? So it's literally like a fruit roll-up record. <laughs> um, well, that's how um, I seem to remember us saying that's how um, like eight track worked. Like it would just go yeah. back to the beginning once it reached the end. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming this does the same thing. Yeah. Um, silly, silly Nazis. They think of everything. And it's uh, interesting that there were formats like that and even this that were able to do that, but with compact cassette, you had to flip it over i guess that maybe that's yeah. part of what made it more compact was that it didn't need a mechanism within it that like looped the tape basically looped itself yeah it was probably that was probably like a cost-saving measure as well for them you know yeah develop they they could get it in a smaller form factor by not having that mechanism yeah um so speaking of tape uh the as we said, the Tefafon was sort of the uh, racist Nazi grandfather of eight tracks. <laughs> um, uh, and I guess so. Eight tracks were like the cranky go to your room father of this next format, the digital mm. audio tape, which was developed in 1987 by, can you guess, Peter? Nazis. It's close. Sony. <laughs> 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 going to hell uh, that was a bad joke i think i've heard slightly about this format um i don't remember if this is one of the ones we touched on in that mini cassettes episode but i think it was similar it and it's one that we didn't really end up talking about because it wasn't really in the same category category yeah, yeah. this one um i don't think really had a long lifespan either. Hmm. Uh, like I said, it was made in 1987 by Sony, and the the difference with this is that the recording was digital as opposed to analog on, say, 8-tracks or cassettes. Digital audio tape, or D-A-T dat, dat ass, uh, for short, <laughs> can record sampling rates equal to, if not higher than a CD. So, hmm. similar to Betamax, 
these were supposedly auditorially superior to the more popular format, but with superior quality usually be, usually comes superior price. The f- says here the format was never really widely adopted by consumers because of issues regarding expensive expense, as well as concerns from the music industry about unauthorized high quality copies. Hmm. Um, of course, the music industry goes to that. Of course, which probably <laughs> is what scared the shit out of Sony and made them uh, wow. go balls deep into uh, DRM. Which like, leads right into our previous episode, yeah. Exactly. I'm just hypothesizing, I don't know. I'm just asking questions. Um, so, yeah, basically, the fact that these digital audio tapes were expensive... And I guess people maybe could easily re-record from one to another, I'm guessing. Well, if it's cassette, get, yeah, that's probably part of yeah. the territory. And basically pirate really high-quality audio, it probably made many a record executive very nervous. Yeah, I bet. So actually, I I typed in really quick because in that I keep mentioning that cassettes episode that we did a little while ago. But I feel like that's mm-hmm. a similar realm of discussion as this one um so the i had to look it up the sony nt was the smallest cassette tape ever made that we mentioned in that episode oh yeah yeah and yeah, that one tiny. i believe it was only used for for uh, data purposes not audio so it's interesting that this is digital rather than analog because the sony nt also was that if i remember right mm-hmm. and i remember us trying to figure out like how that works like what the hell yeah how, i'm sure the, there's some the differences like- yeah mumbo jumbo pseudoscience shit i don't know magic science it's witchcraft um so i guess the, i think these those two formats must have been around the same time although i think the other one was that i mentioned is was a little bit later mm-hmm. so remember how i said that the music industry got upset at sony for that yeah for that in the late 1980s, the RIAA, or mm. Recording Industry Association of America, which we talked about a lot in our previous episode, unsuccessfully lobbied against the introduction of DAT devices into the U.S. because oh, wow. uh, they basically threatened legal action initially against any manufacturer attempting to sell DAT machines in the country, and they later sought to impose restrictions on, I guess recorders being able to be sold because since they could record such a high quality format people were physically using were using them to physically record like with a microphone lps cds and cassettes so they so they didn't really because i mean the other cassette formats were completely trash well i was going to say they were very prominent around this time but i guess like you like you alluded to, they also weren't the best quality. Um, mm-hmm. So is that why they weren't so worried about those? I mean, I'm sure they were a little bit worried about cassettes because it was easy to record from one to another. But I think they were more worried about the fact that this was high quality. These were high quality and they could transcode a larger amount of data. So mm. you could, you know, someone giving a friend a mixtape on a cassette. It's like no one's going to be selling that and being like, yeah, I'll pay five dollars for that. But... If you're able to transcode the music onto multiple of these DATs um, in high quality, you could basically resell them and make money. So this is so this is why it's it wasn't really it never really took off in the U.S. Then is because exactly they, they said quote we don't want DAT technology in our 
country. Exactly. So this is interesting um, to get into the legalese of this. One of the efforts by the RAAA was actually a lobby, a lobbying effort that had forced Congress, I shouldn't say forced Congress, they were persuaded to, it had Congress pass the Digital Audio Recorder Copy Code Act of 1987, which involved a technology called copy code that required DAT or DAT machines to include a chip to detect attempts to copy material recorded with a notch filter. What does this sound like? <laughs> sounds like they don't want people uh, copying. It sounds like copying shit. Uh, DRM. Shits. Yeah, this uh, this is basically the predecessor to um, our previous episode where Sony installed pirate, I shouldn't say pirate. Anti-piracy software on the music CDs. This is like the analog version of that, I suppose. Technically digital. The funny thing was it says that this was originally instigated by CBS Records president Walter Yet- Yetnikoff, but that the opposition by CBS softened after Sony bought CBS. Hmm. Uh, because Sony was the proprietor, was the maker of the DAT machines. CBS was the main, I guess, foil uh, to them. So Sony and just Sony, straight up bought them. Sony, Sony pulled a Disney and was just like, okay, we're going to buy you. Uh, so to make them stop. Up. Uh, it says in June 1989, uh, an agreement was reached, and the only concession the RIAA would receive was a more practical recommendation from manufacturers that legislation be enacted to require recorders have a cop- serial copy management system to prevent digital copying, blah, blah, blah. So, basically, yeah, this was like kind of one of the first major instances of like the RIAA being worried about piracy. Copy protection and all that. Yeah, this is like this is DRM before the digital aspect. It was it was a digital format, but they were trying to prevent piracy through physical means as opposed to software. It's kind of amazing to think that uh, formats like VHS and compact cassette really did uh, take off in the way that they did. Because I know initially, and I don't know enough about this. I mean, that this could probably be a topic mm-hmm. in itself. Because I know there was. Um, concern when those first started becoming popular of like wait people can copy anything mm-hmm. like you can copy a music album you can copy a tv show or a movie the industry and society just didn't really know what to do with that from a legal perspective but i think it kind of just was like well mm-hmm. it's fine just let people do it um i'm kind of curious about how that story went yeah because obviously no. it ended up just being whatever because everybody was doing it yeah, exactly, exactly. That might be something interesting to kind of dive into in a future episode, actually. I'll write that down. write that down. Do it. Uh, so, back to digital audio tape. Basically, through a combination of uh, legal restrictions and just the fact that it was, like I said, more pricey than an average cassette or CD, never really took off that big, ended up making a big fuss in Congress, and kind of went kaput hmm. hence why no one uses it anymore it did say that some of the technology developed by digital audio tape actually would end up being used in in hard drives for computers in the 90s and 2000s when they were first developing like hard disk drives compact hard disk drives huh. so the so the technology is still out there 
as a way to like back up and store data. Hmm. Um, Kyle, we've been talking a lot about things. Yes, we've been talking about dead formats for 44 minutes. You know what's not dead, Kyle? Uh, my love of milk. Uh, that was sure. Um, <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break while Kyle drinks his beloved milk, and then we'll be right back. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Peter. Do you know what a website is? No. It's a thing on the internet, and you can go there, and it's fun. Is that where I can find things to do? Yes, that? you can find things to do there. <laughs> uh, getyourfunk.com is a website for Funk Radio, and there are, you can find our, our episodes there, and you can listen to them, and you can download them, and we have a tip jar. Do you like money, Kyle? I love money. Well, people will give us money there at getyourfunk.com. Yay! <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode of Funk Radio? I like the one about butts. Well, at getyourfunk.com, you can use the search bar and type in butts, and it'll pull up our episode that we did a while back about butts. Yay! And now back to our previously scheduled content. Well, Kyle has a, a milk mustache now after indulging in his whatever. This was a really bad transition. You should play, you should play a milk commercial instead. A milk commercial. I don't know. I'm no. There's I'm just be, thinking like I've never seen one, of them, and I have to look it up. Is there such there, thing? There's pro like there's probably some like old timey radio commercial that's like you know, make your kids drink the milk so they don't get the polio or something. Hmm. I guess got milk. That was a thing. Yeah. Well, whatever. We're back now after yeah. that horrible transition. Uh, <laughs> um. All right. So what are we what are we talking about next, Kyle? Uh, we're going to go back in time a little bit um, to the hippie 60s of 1969 for a format that I've never heard of at all called U-Matic. This isn't dissimilar from Betamax, and I guess in some ways it's kind of its predecessor. Um, it was an analog uh, recording video cassette format first shown by Sony um, as a prototype in October of 1969, which is exactly 50 years ago. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, it was introduced to the market uh, in September of 71, so I guess it's kind of a 70s format. Uh, it was actually among the first video formats to contain the videotape inside of a cassette as opposed to a reel, um, okay. like video home video used to be, reel-to-reel as they called it at the time. Um, so this was a video format then? Yes. Okay. Uh, it was basically the video format that preceded Betamax and VHS. Um, it just wasn't Max enough. Exactly. Uh, as we discussed before, even though Betamax and VHS kind of had their war in the early 80s, um, both those formats actually came out in 75 and 76, respectively. Mm. But in the years before VHS and Betamax, there was Umatic. And I guess it wasn't really a success. Surprise, surprise. Um, I guess that's why we're talking was, about it. It was one of the first times that uh, someone actually had the concept of putting magnetic videotape into a cartridge, which laid the groundwork for Betamax and VHS. It looks um, similar to those formats as well. Yeah. The whole concept was because reel-to-reel 
uh, format by being kind of exposed to the air and elements eventually degraded over time. So they figured, well, if we put keep it inside a sealed cartridge, it will help sort of protect it from aging and getting all warpy. Well, and also the ease of uh, use, assuming this works in a similar way oh, as the yeah, other ones. Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't have you don't to, have like, to you know, like, put the reel the on the around. thing and exactly, and then string the thing to the thing, and it was a whole thing. I never did that, thankfully, but... Uh, I was going to say, though, the irony of all of this of like, hey, let's put it inside a cassette so it doesn't degrade. I'm sure you and I both remember that one beloved VHS tape that we played to death to the point that it would get all garbly. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's really all I got to say about Umatic, basically. It was the predecessor to Sony's own Betamax, but it was the first time that anyone, including Sony, thought to put uh, the uh, videotape inside of a box instead of just having it on a reel which i found mm. interesting so so was this the first instance of that then it sounds like yes yeah this was the first time that anyone had done it let alone sony so it right. was kind of pioneering in that way that's cool uh obviously sony had their own war with uh, jvc later on but so that was in 1969 and we're gonna sp- shoot ahead about 30 years to 1998 when we were both eight years old mm-hmm to Sony's very shitty, surprise, this is also Sony, uh, very shitty format called the Memory Stick, which was a removable flashcard memory format, not unlike a micro SD card that you would see today in, a, in like a phone or a camera. This format was originally launched in 98. Basically, they had like things like the Memory Stick, they had this thing called the Memory Stick Pro, which I guess allowed for greater storage capacity and, and faster file transfer speeds. But the shitty thing about this whole thing is that Sony developed its memory stick for its own proprietary digital cameras and portable music players. Basically, once the Walkman started to kind of move mm. to the digital realm of, say, the iPod, and people were downloading music, they were like, well, we need somewhere to store this. Let's develop a memory stick. Sony has a long, sordid history of developing proprietary memory storage formats. I was going to say, is this the same one you were telling me about with the PSP, or is this a different the, one? This is this is similar. This is basically what led them to do the same shit with the PSP, which oh, okay. I can talk about in a sec, I guess. But, yeah, basically, starting with the PlayStation 1, Sony has always had some sort of proprietary memory storage format that you have to buy in order to store data on its devices, from its devices, I should say. Hmm. And even though it was entirely a primary, a proprietary format initially developed by Sony, their logic was that if you wanted to buy a Sony digital camera, you had to spend more money with Sony to buy the memory stick to store the photos or media. Or if you buy a Walkman MP3 player, then to expand your storage, you need to get one of their... Exactly. Memory sticks, yeah. So it was like a self-feeding thing. It's like if, you know, you buy a Sony product, you need a Sony product. <laughs> right. Which, I mean, from a business sense, you know, it is it is what it is. As a consumer, I don't like it, but I get why they do it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something to be said about, um, I don't know what the, quite, what the right word is, but basically having like a good rapport with the consumer. And exactly. F- for sake of, you know... Giving up, maybe you know, maybe giving up an opportunity to have your own proprietary everything, doing something that's more convenient for the consumer, 
in a way that makes you look a little bit better and people are more apt to be happier with your product if they don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. That's just my take. Obviously, I'm not an executive at a big company, so <laughs> I don't think that way. Yeah, I mean, hashtag profit, I guess. But the funny thing is, is as you said, Peter, this memory stick um, technology would eventually be go on to be used in their PlayStation range, including their PlayStation Portable, which came out in 2004. Let's find out. That sounds about I right. Came out, I think it came out when we were in, yep, December 2004. Funny thing is, I remember when I was a kid and I would go to GameStop and stuff, you know, they had that thing, and I think they still have it now, where if you're part of their GameStop membership bullshit, you get like a uh, subscription to Game Informer. And Game Informer magazine first was one of the first uh, publications to break the news about the PSP coming out. So when the PSP came out, I was all stoked. I bought one. And I think I told the story on, the, on here before, but whatever. Um, this is Maybe it was on the many CDs episode. Maybe you told a story. I think so. It. I think so. Uh, basically, the Sony, the PSP, on top of dealing with that whole memory stick thing where you can only use the Sony memory sticks in the PSP to store video game data, Sony, with the PSP, also uh, prioritized another now-dead media format called UMD, or Universal Media Disc, which I think we talked about in the mini-disc episode because it was We must a, have, yeah. And I remember when the PSP came out, on top of having the games on these uh, UMDs, they also sold movies on them. And as a little oh, right, kid, yeah. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I could have a movie that I can play portably on my PSP. This is the greatest thing ever. Didn't you have like dodgeball or something? Yes. Damn it, I did tell this story before. Basically, I went out and bought a shit ton of movies on this shitty dead format because I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and wasted a bunch of money on it. Which sucks because these things are pretty cool in theory. It, it, oh, yeah. Uh, my my thing with some of these portable things they've had is they seem to like disappear within such a, a short time that it's hard to... Like, if a new one comes out, like, I don't necessarily want to get caught up in that ecosystem if I know it's going to be gone in a year or two. Exactly. I've been burned so much by, like, technology coming out, me thinking it's awesome, jumping into it, only to have it die within two or three years, that I'm much more hesitant now. Um, Funny thing is, these UMDs actually last longer than you think. They stopped making them in 2016. Hmm. Um, which I guess is always seems to be the case with these technologies. They stop making them like long after people have stopped buying them. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, surprising. So yeah, I guess the this UMD thing was a bit of a spinoff from the memory stick. I know we talked about it in the mini disc, mini discs episode, but it just kind of reinforces the whole Sony proprietary crap thing. Um, so this last thing that we're going to talk about actually kind of slightly pertains to video game systems, which I guess is a good tie-in. Hmm. And this is the HD DVD format, which came out in 2006. I didn't realize it was that late that that came out. I would have guessed a little bit earlier than that. I know, right? So as we were discussing with Laserdiscs and then their their predecessors, or not predecessors, their successors, uh, DVDs, HD DVD was kind of the next evolution of that. Now, the funny thing about this was this is probably one of the only instances when Sony actually came out with a 
initially proprietary format that they didn't fuck up. Basically, this was like Revenge of the Betamax. <laughs> so, HD DVD came out in 2006, and it was a uh, format supported by Toshiba, um, and had the backing of some major film studios like Universal and Warner Brothers, mm. which, at the time, people were like, holy shit, you know, this is a big deal, the fact that people are backing this, this is going to be the next evolution of DVDs. Yeah. Now, f- for those of you that don't know, the, I guess pixel aspect ratio of dvds is i want to say like 720p uh, yeah i think that's correct whereas um hd dvds were full hd which means 1080p or 1920 by 1080 okay so slightly higher resolution more fidelity all that good shit so basically yeah the hd dvds came out they had the backing of universal and warner brothers Now, at the same time that this was happening, Sony was making their own proprietary format called Blu-ray. Okay, so so Toshiba developed HD DVD then. For some reason, I thought we said Sony did. I see. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Toshiba was developing HD DVD at the same time that Sony was developing Blu-ray. Oh, Uh, I didn't know that. That's funny. Not too dissimilar from, you know, the Betamax VHS debacle. Basically, they wanted to seize the market of this sort of high-definition physical media that was going to supersede uh, DVDs, and they hmm. um, got support from not only the Sony Music Division, uh, Film Division, but MGM Studios as well. So it was like this sort of Hollywood-backed battle of these two formats huh. of like, you know, who could throw more money at it and win, basically. Yeah. Well... Basically, the thing that killed the HD DVD was the PlayStation 3. Because Sony was actually very smart in this regard. When they announced the PS3, they basically said that they were going to use the Blu-ray disc drive as both their game format and the optical drive to be able to play Blu-ray films. That was pretty ingenious on their part, I have to say. Yeah, they really were trying to monopolize that whole exactly. thing. Sony was always really good at this too because Sony really I mean there was never really like a there was never really like a major competitor to DVDs, but it can be argued that the reason that DVDs took off as quickly as they did is partially because of the PlayStation 2 mm. being able to be used as a DVD player. So that's, that's kind point. of a thing with a lot of these video formats. These these video formats are pioneered by game consoles or game companies mm. and that success often carries on to the success of that format now the funny thing about this is that to compete with them hd dvd and toshiba partnered with microsoft to sell and this is kind of funny to sell an add-on drive to the xbox 360 which could play hd dvds that's got failure so, written all over it like i don't you. care exactly. if it's a popular format or not that's stupid. <laughs> Rather than build it into the system or come out with a refresh, uh, coming out with a refresh of the system that yeah. had the HD DVD drive built in, they sold it as an accessory that you had to buy to be able to play HD DVD on your Xbox. Which, like you said, didn't sound nearly as appealing as the fact that a PlayStation came with a Blu-ray player built in. Yeah. Now, if you'll remember, at the time... PlayStation 3s were far and away the more expensive 
of the consoles. I think they topped out at like $600 back in 2006. That sounds right. But part of that was because they were including this, at the time, very expensive technology in their system. So from a profit standpoint, it was kind of genius. They were taking a loss on the cost of the system because of the cost of this Blu-ray drive technology, but they were making it up on the back end by being able to sell people Blu-ray discs and take taking a cut of that profit. Hmm. So the Xbox 360 could only play up to DVD format then? Yeah, they could play DVDs, They but they you had to buy a third-party um, HD drive. DVD drive. That's so stupid. <laughs> the to funny me, thing is I... the whole point of a console, like, especially probably starting in the, I don't know what generation that's considered, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Um, I guess third generation, I guess. Yeah, I guess, well, if we call that the third generation. Uh, to me, that's really, I think, when, or maybe it was even the PS2, when it really started to become more of a... Uh, home entertainment console rather than just for gaming at least that's exactly the concept exactly. and so to me the fact that you have to spend another you know 100 plus dollars mm-hmm. for basic functionality on top of this thing you already bought that it kind of defeats the whole purpose of that yeah exactly it's it, everything about it kind of felt like an afterthought in a in a failed attempt to win this format war between blu-ray and hdvs yeah, that's really like the latest, I guess, format war. Um, now that everything is digital, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if we're ever going to have something like that again. You know, I think there there's got to be something. I I like they have 4K Blu-rays already, so that just kind of made yeah. the leap to the next resolution. There's no other format. That's kind of like an upgrade, though, ra- ra- rather than like competing formats. Yeah, I don't know. My my thought with that is, if it's anything, it could be that, and I don't, see, I don't even know if this will be a thing, because I know we've talked at length before about how, like, for example, MP3 is, uh, in the grand scheme of things, pretty shitty quality, um, yeah. when you can compare it to other things, but it's really become popular because it's so ubiquitous, and just, like I said earlier, despite not being the best quality, it's a pretty small form factor in terms of file size, Um it's easy for everybody to use. I mean, I think technically there's a license on it, but no one really pays attention to that. Um, mm. Whereas with higher quality digital audio, you can start getting to the point where like a lot of people can't tell the difference and it's a lot more file space. And it, I assume it would be more expensive to download things that way. So I think people just don't care enough. The sad um, thing is, I don't know. He- here's my thought process with that is as everything moves more and more towards streaming um that's another good point it seems yeah. it seems less and less likely that a high quality audio format is really going to take off until um bandwidth can support it basically band, yes exactly internet bandwidth can support those formats it's at the in the meantime when you have these huge players like Spotify and YouTube and whatever they're going to prioritize uh speed and total bandwidth over yeah. quality so because they're having to store this information on massive servers, they want to compress that quality to as small as they can possibly get it without pissing people off so that, you know, they don't have, I guess you could say, the problem that Netflix has is where all the ISPs, internet service providers, are pissed off at them because they're taking so much bandwidth uh, for their service. So I'm kind of thinking, like, until we make true, like, 
leaps and bounds in internet speed, which unfortunately, at least in America, I don't see happening anytime soon because hashtag capitalism. I don't see another major audio format really taking off until that happens because all of the, the, the nice thing about MP3, however shady it is, is it's really easily compressible. Um, as opposed to something like FLAC or even WAV files. Right. Well, but to your to your point, though, as we go more towards streaming both in audio and in video, like things like Netflix or other streaming services, or Disney+. Mm-hmm. Plus. Um, oh, God. I mean, there are, I'm sure there already has been this movement, but I think it's only going to keep going this way, of less of an emphasis on ownership of like your own library of stuff, and more mm-hmm. so just, oh, well, I can go watch this movie whenever I want by logging into this thing. Or I can listen to any conceivable music album by logging into Spotify. So I think the, you know, the way of formats in general could go away entirely. If we I see what you're saying. To that. Like, be- because because there's not, not going to be a need to like buy a movie on any given format or a music album. It's just available through this one thing or whatever i see what you're saying because it's no longer something that we physically have access to as a digital file on our machine the format becomes irrelevant to the consumer yeah it's just streamable you just because click they're just there. streaming it it could be a flack it could be an mp3 it could be gives a fuck as long as it plays through right. the program no I, I see what you're saying that's a good point yeah uh, this was a good fun discussion of just various technology shits um mm-hmm. Some about audio, some about video, some about whatever video games, I guess. Um, mm. If you disagree with our vision of the future, listeners, <laughs> tell us on Facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk. And if you want to listen to any of the other episodes that we mentioned, uh, probably five or ten by now <laughs> that we've called back to, um, you can find them all at getyourfunk.com. And uh, maybe you'll find something else there, too, that you didn't know about, but could be interesting. No, you needed. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Well, this didn't end up being too spooky, but... No. Whatever. Uh, yeah, this has been your not-spooky host, Kyle. And this has been Peter. Uh, thanks for listening to Funk Radio. Next time, we'll be doing a different thing, but we don't really know what that is yet. That's every week. Spoilers. <laughs> yep. Spoilers. We don't know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. We love you. Bye.